This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I'm excited to be joined by guest this evening, Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Paul, I got to tell you, this is a dream come true to sit here and talk with you. Um, I'm such a big fan of the work you guys do. Uh, I love the way that you guys attack uh, just looking at players, evaluating players, and to, to sit here and talk football with you. I can't. I'm I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Really excited to have you on the show. I know we were just talking for about 30 minutes off air, you know, just about how interesting this class is and the evaluation process. And I know we've had conversations on Twitter and, you know, on DM on Twitter. And I know you, you've been in contact with Matt as well. So it's exciting to finally have you on the show. And there's so much to talk about, you know, week eight of the college football season you know, is behind us. The Big Ten got kicked off this weekend. You know, week seven of the NFL season, you know, it finished up. So much to talk about there with the rookies. So so let's get right into it. The usual, you know, season shows. Let's kick it off with the NFL draft report, the stock report for week eight. And I'm going to start the quarterback position because, you know, we've seen Trevor Lawrence for a couple of weeks now. You know, he just kept, you know, humming along this week, doing his thing there. You know, 27 to 43, 289 yards and two touchdowns. But this week also saw the return of, for many people, QB2 in this draft class. And that's Justin Fields out of Ohio State, 20 of 21, talking about efficient, 276 yards and two touchdowns, added 54 yards on the ground as well. And I know I was, you know, I was on Twitter on Saturday and, you know, maybe it was a hot take, maybe it wasn't, but I, you know, I went out there and said that I think in terms of collegiate prospect, Justin Fields is better than Lamar Jackson was in terms of, I think, his natural passing skills. You know, obviously they both, you know, have the athleticism and the legs to be a major impact on the ground. And Lamar has obviously shown that he can transition to the NFL tremendously. So I'm not saying right here that Justin Fields is going to be better than what Lamar Jackson has done at the NFL level. But in terms of their collegiate prospect, I think Fields is more advanced and ahead of where Lamar Jackson was when he was, you know, draft eligible to come out. Where do you kind of sit on on the, you know, if you want to pick up on the Fields-Lamar comparison that I was just talking about, or just maybe Fields to, to Lawrence? Is there something between their games that kind of separates them for you? Well, I, I mean, I think uh, it's just exciting that we have Ohio State playing again and we get a chance to see Justin Fields because I think he's reminding us really just how tight of a race it is to this number one pick. I, I do love Trevor Lawrence. He's this generational prospect and and we throw that word around but it really fits here uh but i think uh there's just this aspect to justin field's game uh and and all of the things that he brings and what he could do uh that i i think it's gonna be a tough decision for whoever whoever has to pick first um but we're gonna be blessed with both these guys hopefully next year um and and i think this just this football season i'm hopefully we get a chance to see them play each other yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if everything continues to go as is, I do think they're a little bit on a crash course to see Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence match up. You know, I think they're two of the top teams in the country. And you're right. Listen, I think Lawrence has more 
right now on his resume in terms of we've seen him beat defenses in more ways than we've seen fields. And I think Fields still has to show his ability to go through progressions. You know, I think that's an area where at Ohio state, there's just so many skilled players around him that, you know, and not that Lawrence doesn't have his own plethora of skilled players as well, but I do think we've seen more, you know, half read and full progression reads from Trevor Lawrence than we've seen from Justin Fields. But I, but I don't think Fields is as far off as some people think, you know, if I was a fan of an NFL team that couldn't get Trevor Lawrence, I wouldn't look at it as a really downgrade in terms of the consolation prize to maybe get a chance at Justin Fields. And who knows, by the time the draft weekend rolls around, you know, Trey Lance might be right there in the mix too, you know, pushing, you know, maybe Justin Fields even to be QB two. You know, some people seem to think that he might even have a higher ceiling than Fields as well. So it, it was good to see him this weekend. I mean, the stats are very going to be very gaudy at all times for Ohio State because they have a great scheme, great coaching staff. He's obviously very talented. You know, so I think all year, every single week, the box scores are going to look really good for Fields and Lawrence. You know, so every week I come on here and talk about them. And I don't think there's a lot to really nitpick about those guys. We'd like to see, you know, a little bit more here or there in some areas if we are really nitpicking. But but they're such top level prospects. I mean, and, and what's crazy is Matt watched these guys when they were like in their high school all-star games. And I remember him, you know, coming on air and saying, Paul, man, these guys are going to be special, both these guys. And, you know, he was talking about what he saw, you know, in terms of their high school film and neither of these guys have disappointed. I've been on record as saying, I think Georgia blew it a little bit because I, I know they felt loyalty to Jake Fromm, but I think that decision in the long run could potentially have cost them an opportunity, a real opportunity to win a national title, which I think with Justin Fields there, they may well be, have been the favorite this year, or maybe could have, you know, even last year, uh, you know, made a run as well. If we get off of Field and 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 Lawrence, because I feel like I talk about them a lot, especially Lawrence, you know, this year. But obviously now that Fields is getting going, we'll be talking about him a lot. I want to kind of take it to two guys who I think have now elevated themselves into the top five discussion for quarterbacks at the at the quarterback position, because all all off season and even the first you know handful of weeks of the the season, I've been talking about Lawrence. I've been you know Fields and, and Lance have been the other two names on everybody's radar, but then it was like, okay, before the season started, I like Jamie Newman, you know, Desmond Ritter. Those were kind of the guys that, you know, Brock Purdy, those are the three guys next for me, but it seems like there's been a a little bit of a consensus shift that I think now it's Zach Wilson out of BYU, Mac Jones out of Alabama, you know, Kyle Trask out of Florida has been making noise this year. So this past week, Mac Jones, 25 of 31, 387, just continues to be very efficient, you know, nice vertical passer, continues to get the job done there. And then Zach Wilson this past weekend, 19 of 25, 287 yards and four touchdowns. Any thoughts, Jeff, on Jones and Wilson from what you've seen of them on film in terms of areas that have you impressed with those two guys? And can you see a scenario where maybe either one of those guys push in to round one mix? Yeah, um, 
Well, I mean, I think they've elevated their stock. And I think, honestly, the inconsistent play, you know, has also sort of dropped some of those names out, right? And, you know, this is this is why we have college football is to sit and reevaluate. Uh, Mac Jones is, you know, really come out of nowhere. It's not, we didn't think of him as, as a day two prospect. You didn't really even think of him as some are starting to think of him as even a day one prospect. And I think there's that's a pretty bold call because we just haven't seen a lot of them and i don't i haven't seen personally a lot of nfl caliber problems i I think matt likes to say those problem solving paradigm and and the, the the types of problems they have to solve on the field because you know he's got these two amazing receivers in in waddle and Devontae smith and i'm sure we'll get to them too um but he he has he brings a lot to the game. He has a very pretty deep ball. He's got a quick release, and and his placement on those deep balls are are wonderful. Like he he has an understanding of leverage and where that ball is supposed to be. And you know that's something that NFL teams are going to really love. Uh, I have concerns. I don't think he's personally a day one prospect for me yet. Um, not to say he couldn't develop and and sort of show progress and growth, but. You know, there's a lot in his mechanics that, and his footwork that that really, it's it's one of those areas of of inconsistency I see in his game, and uh, and and a one of the things that I really look for in quarterbacks is is how they handle pressure, um, especially you know within the pocket. You know, are they too quick to leave, or especially can they climb the pocket? Right? Can they can they feel that pressure, climb the pocket, and step into a throw? And you know, my my big concern with Mac Jones is, is he, he, he seems to shy away from uh, defenders and, and not step into those throws and, and open up a little bit. And, you know, that leads to some errant passes. So I think if he does become a day one prospect, my, my hope would be that he gets drafted to a really good organization with a competent starter, maybe someone who's, who's got a year or two left, somebody like Tampa Bay and Tom Brady and, and he can sit and and he can refine those points of his game because, you know, those tools seem to be there. He's, he's got um, a a moxie to him and, and this sort of uh, can't lose attitude. Um, But, but I do think it's just too early to throw him into the NFL fire. So uh, I hope that's what that would be my hope. If 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 teams are high on him for round one, I think he's more of a day two prospect now. Um, somebody I like more is Zach Wilson. So I think what I love about Zach Wilson, and and I think we were talking earlier, Paul. You haven't got a chance to dig in yet, but you're going to be excited uh, when you watch this guy. Um, we were just talking about how the quarterback landscape is changing. And really, you you just need playmakers, right? And and I, Zach Wilson is a playmaker on the field. He has creative solutions to problems. His his he throws from all arm angles. He's very good off structure, um, on the run, different platforms. You know, he's this uh, this mobile, you know, athletic. Um, and and really, he's just a bold decision maker too. He he really isn't afraid to. Uh, act like he's Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> and and that will obviously lead to some problems. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that I have for him 
you know, as far as growth is, is learning about that decision-making, where his limitations are, what is a good, bold play and, and what is boneheaded. I mean, you saw a little bit of that with Josh Allen, right? And, and how you get a little bit of those bonehead plays and maybe you can learn about that and you can grow and you can start making better decisions and then have electric play, right? So that's, that's my, you know, overview of Zach Wilson. I think he's going to be, I, I, I think he's going to continue to be electric. He's going to turn a lot of heads and I'm really interested to see what NFL scouts will think of him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's a guy that, again, I've had a superficial look. I, I, I've seen some highlights that, you know, I've watched one game, haven't done enough yet in terms of a deep dive to write him up in the scouting notebook, but he will be added, you know, without a doubt, you know, one of the first names he, Mac Jones or, you know, the, the top two quarterbacks that I'll be adding soon, you know, a couple of wide receivers, Kadarius, Tony, you know, Reggie Roberson, you know, those are like the top four guys that right now are going to be the first four names that I add to the notebook. And what you just said is, listen, you want those guys that can make plays. I mean, and I think the league is more open to it than ever. You know, the reason why teams were concerned about Patrick Mahomes, and, and this is not to say Zach Wilson is on that level, you know, and, that, and obviously that's what you were saying too, but it's the same reason why some teams were enamored with Jordan Love last year. The the ability to make things happen, playing off structure, throwing off platform, you know, using that athleticism, that's more than ever. And we were talking about this too before off air, that more than ever is critical at the NFL level. Offensive line play continues to deteriorate throughout the league and NFL teams need their quarterbacks to be able to make plays and solve problems on the football field and not only be able to read defenses and read coverages. Like that is what used to be needed. That and a good arm was what was basically the the list that you needed to check off to be a good quarterback quarterback prospect years ago but now you have to be able to be mobile you have to be able to play off structure you have to be able to make plays with your legs and it doesn't only mean picking up chunk yards rushing it just means maneuverability or in and outside the pocket throwing on the run being able to comfortable and make good decisions and at times there was there was stuff on film when Patrick Mahomes was in college that you know some of that decision making and he ended up with a great coach there with Andy Reid who harnessed that in after he sat a year you know so you know Wilson is one of those guys that teams are going to be intrigued by that when you look at the total package you know I think what I've seen of him he intrigues me more from a skill set perspective than Mac Jones. And like if you if you flip-flop them and Mac and you know Zach Wilson was the quarterback of Alabama and Mac Jones was the quarterback of BYU, I'm not sure if Mac Jones is getting as much attention as he is right now and who's to say Zach Wilson wouldn't be getting top 5 top 10 buzz if he was playing in Alabama right now. So so I think I think right now my early take is as I like Zach Wilson more for and then in terms of an NFL prospect, but there's a lot of football left this year, a lot more film to watch uh, for me to make a full determination on that. Any any final thoughts on on the quarterbacks, or should I take it to the running backs? Just that uh, you know, I don't think we can project anybody to see a, a Patrick Mahomes like growth, and we don't know what Jordan Love is going to be. And they, you know, the other one that came into my mind was Kyler Murray because we got a chance to see him Sunday night just have a bunch of fun running around slinging a ball and he makes mistakes too so it's it's just it's just uh putting out there to show that you know the NFL is is getting guys that have 
you know, m- more tools, more more resources to be able to solve these problems on the field. And each of them are going to do it in their own unique way. And each will have their own unique uh, development curve. And I just, I really hope that we get a chance to see Zach Wilson on a, on a good NFL team because, and with a creative head coach, uh, because I think the, the opportunities are, are truly limitless there. And uh, just to circle back around to Justin Fields, just super excited that, you know, we get a chance to see him this college football season and and with Ohio State playing. Why don't you take us back down to the running backs that we got a chance to see this this week? Because I think you have two names that uh, got we got to see their first game this week as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Ohio State, the running backs, obviously, has been a topic of conversation throughout the, you know, the spring and, and the summer as we waited for Ohio State to kick off. And, you know, this past weekend, Master Teague, 12 carries, 41 yards, two touchdowns. Trey Sermon, who transferred from Oklahoma, 11 carries, 55 yards. You know, these guys are really interesting because when it when you look at Master Teague, I do think him and Zemir White of Georgia are very similar in there. They are great size, great frame. They tested out well athletically, you know, in terms of their high school spark and stuff like that. But I think in terms of their NFL prospects, they're going to be guys that I think live in the interior, you know, in terms of their running ability. They're going to be power guys between the tackles, goal line runners, but have the athleticism to kick it outside from time to time. They're not going to be guys that you're, you're scheming up space plays for at the next level. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, 10 years ago, guys like Zamir White and, and Master Teague would be looked at as, you know, elite prospects, you know, in terms of their future NFL success. Now, I, I'm i really interested to see if either one of those guys shows some more versatility this year to their game. And I, I put out a tweet about that as well, that do any of them show off in the passing game to be functional? Do any of them show more ability to make people miss in the open field or it is, you know, using their natural athleticism and, and their bursts that they have once they get into the open field? Do, does anyone show anything different to their games to kind of separate those two guys? And then on the flip side, I do think Trey Sermon might have a little bit more versatility to his game. And it's going to be really interesting today, you know, this week, 12 and 11 carries. Is that pretty much an even timeshare all year? I know when I watched Trey Sermon, not this past summer, the summer before, I was kind of excited for Trey Sermon. I had him clearly ahead of Kennedy Brooks in in terms of that Oklahoma backfield. And then last year, you know, Sermon, you know, didn't live up to what I expected of him. Now, you know, the transfer... But with those skilled wide receivers and Justin Fields, these guys are going to get a lot of opportunity to be really successful. I think it's going to be fascinating to see if one of those guys kind of separates them. I know I brought in Zamir White into the conversation because I feel like him and Master Teague have kind of been talked about a lot in the Debbie community for quite some time. And I do think there's similarities between them. But I think it's going to be interesting to see if somebody separates between Master Teague and Trey Sermon. Because I think if you look at a lot of lists, People have those guys pretty similar in their ranks. Some people like Teague more. Some people like Sermon more. You know, when I watched them this past summer, you know, I had them pretty close together. Right now, Master T comes in at 12. Trey Sermon comes in at 14. And, you know, I, I think when I did – actually, I'm in my – that's my Devi ranks. In my draft-eligible ranks, I have Teague at 10 and, and Trey Sermon at 11. So I have them back-to-back. And I, I mentioned – you know, Zamir White, he's right there at nine two. 
but there's but those three guys could easily you know move up the ranks a little bit because I think as the year goes on they could leapfrog Kylan Hill they could leapfrog Max Borgie Keontae Ingram who I was high on seems to not be you know playing as good as I thought he was going to play at Texas this year so I think there's ability for them to kind of move up and potentially be in the top seven or top eight mix. So it's going to be interesting to see if one of them separate. You have a take there, Jeff, between Teague and Sermon. Any of those guys, you know, is there one there or something about either of their games that intrigued you a little bit more than the other? You know what? Not yet. And and I think uh, that I have that same wishful thinking that maybe one of them can make that easy for us and separate from the other. And, you know, we, they get to be in the same backfield. So, you know, we have an apples to apples comparison when we look at the tape. So that's going to be something to definitely pay attention to. And and just as far as, you know, Master Teague and, and Zamir White, you know, the NFL is going to overpay for athleticism. They they like these profiles, overpay. They're going to ha- draft them higher. Draft capital gives them opportunities. So, you know, and I think at the running back position, that's one of the uh, – that's one of those those positions in the NFL that, you know, they let these guys sort of get their feet wet, learn on the job, and get them in pretty quick. So, um, obviously, I think they're going to have the opportunity. Um I do think there's a lot that a lot of growth that they need to do. And, you know, we've said that for other prospects too, and, and some of them make it and some of them don't. Um, And I think I'd like to see, uh, like you said, some more pass catching, some more, um, you know, you know, just some more uh, ability to take over the offense, you know, in multiple facets um, and, and just that growth to their game throughout the college year, because that, that'll make it a little bit easier to project some growth in the NFL. As Absolutely. Well. I mean, and it was just, you know, the first game of the season for, for both those Ohio State running backs. So I think we're going to have a lot of games to really give them an opportunity to kind of show us more and see if there's more uh, that they can, you know, potentially show to NFL scouts and evaluators in terms of versatility to their game for Months now, I feel like I've been talking here and sharing my thoughts on the top running back class, right? Travis Eaton and Najee Harris, two really top-level prospects. I think most people didn't even expect them to be playing college football anymore, and and they would have been right in the mix with the, the, the top five guys last year somewhere in that group, and it would have been a big top seven last year, and all seven of those guys would have been gone by the end of the second round. You know, this past weekend, Najee Harris found the end zone three times. Travis Eaton found the end zone three times. I feel like a lot of the community, half the community maybe is on Najee Harris's RB1. The other half of the community is on Travis Etienne. I think I cop out when I say it's like a 1A, 1B. If I was forced to to to, to pick and what my rankings say, if, if you have the rankings notebook out there, is I have Etienne as my one and Najee Harris as my two. But I could easily, you know, if 32 teams, if we had access to 32 teams NFL's draft boards to see how they rank Najee Harris Harris and Travis Etienne, my guess is it's pretty close to a split. And I think it depends on your running style that you want, the scheme you want. You know, if you're looking for a guy to be a focal point of the entire offense and be like the run game, you want to be a foundation piece. I think Najee Harris might fit the bill a little bit more. But if you're, because I do think he's a more complete player than Travis Etienne. I think he's a better receiver, better route runner, better pass protector. 
But Najee Harris has rare stop start acceleration and elite, elite burst and, and acceleration. So I think that is why I slightly, slightly favor Ethan. I love them both. I think both of them will be gone in the top 40, 45 picks. You know, we never know if guys are going to get taken in round one. We always see sometimes they do, sometimes they slip. It really depends on team needs. But Jeff, any thoughts on those two top level prospects? Do you have a clear favorite between those two or, you know, or similarly me, a 1A, 1B thing, or do you have a little bit more differentiation between them? And if you don't, is there one or two things you want to just kind of maybe elaborate on from their games that, that you, that always stand out when you seem to watch them? Yeah, I think this is kind of where, uh, maybe a personal bias will come in with those people who are ranking them, right? Uh, you know, I was a very much a Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, person over the the Jonathan Taylor, um, mostly because I really like that well-rounded, complete game. I love the toolbox uh, that Najee Harris brings. Uh, I mean, just you see him running actual routes down the field, wheel routes to an end zone and just make athletic adjustments to the ball. He's a real, he's a brilliant receiver. He's really good. And, and it's just how he runs the ball, how he manages collisions, how he, you know, picks his holes, manipulates defenders on the second level, evades backfield pressure, uh, powers through contact. I just, the type of toolbox that he brings is is just completely well-rounded. I think he just has a, an amazing amount of resources uh, to be able to tackle some of those problems. And while he might not have absolute elite speed like like Etn, absolute elite explosiveness, and and that's something that you know can in the right system, um, you know, I could see Etn being ranked after the NFL draft over Najee Harris for me, just if they, if that landing spot, you know, fits perfectly like uh like a Clyde Edwards Hilaire to Kansas city. If the, if the, if ETN goes to a place like San Francisco with a really creative run scheme, I mean, you see just how Raheem Mostert bursts through those holes. Imagine Travis ETN, right. And, and just the amount of, of oh, like that's, he's just an electric player, but I do see some gaps right like his game has a few holes and you know he's 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 sort of that um really elite in he i don't think he's going to be um that you know 20 carry five target kind of running back that Najee harris could be you know he could be elite on 14 touches but you really need that home run and you know there's certain places i think that'll work great um I think if my personal bias is just to the to the well-rounded back Najee Harris, so he's or, so Najee's going to be my number one, and Etn would be my number two if I had to rank them now, and and then I think Chuba Hubbard would then be my number three, and and I have some reservations about Chuba Hubbard. He'd be in a, you know, he'd lead the tier below uh, the the next tier for me. So why don't you tell us about? Chuba Hubbard's weekend. Yeah, so Hubbard this weekend, and and for me, he's number three right now too. But I do share some some concerns for his game. I think you know, to me, a team's going to look at him, and I think similar to Darrell Henderson, I think that's the kind of prospect that Hubbard is—a guy that you know, in the NFL level, I think he's a thirteen to like fifteen touch kind of guy. I'm he showed more last year between the tackles, physicality, and play strength than I 
than I had seen the year before. So maybe that was kind of the the start of him showing me a little bit more. But I think a team's going to draft Chubba Harbor for his explosiveness somewhere on day two, whether it's round two, round three. But I think he's going to be more of like a part of a dual backfield. You know, I think Davin Cook, I mean, Davin Cook, I think Travis Etienne could be like, a guy who maybe doesn't get 20 carries, five, you know, catches like you were talking about, but I think he'll be the the clear lead guy. Like, you know, 18 to 20 touches, I think is where it is where I project Ethan probably at the next level. See, I think Hubbard will probably end up somewhere, you know, as part of a dual backfield because he's got that explosiveness to his game, but I, you know, you watch him play, there always seems to be these gaping lanes for him to take advantage of, you know, similar to Rashard Penny had in San Diego State, similar to what, you know, I mentioned Henderson in Memphis. So I'm going to be interested to kind of continue to watch Harvard this year. I did think there was, you know, one guy who I thought could push him to be RB3 behind you know, Ethan and Najee Harris for me, and that was going to be Journey Brown out of Penn State really big fan of him when I watched him. I kind of kind of locked him in at number five, but basically with a big arrow saying, once I see more, I thought he could maybe push his way to even be my RB three. And didn't even realize when I recorded last week that some news had, had, had either just came out before I went on air or maybe the next day, I'm not sure, that he's actually not going to play football this year due to a medical condition. So I don't know if any more news came out since – I saw that report. I don't know exactly, you know, what the condition is, but that's something that, you know, hopefully everything's okay with him. But in terms of his football ability, I was a big fan of Journey Brown. And I was looking for him to kind of show me that he could carry and be the focal point of that run game there at Penn State. And I thought he had the skill set to maybe even push to be the third RB in this class. But for now, Hubbard, I think, is locked into that role. I don't see anybody really pushing him because I do think that explosiveness it makes him intriguing, even though I'm not sure he has seen the plethora of problems, you know, that he's had to be asked to solve, you know, with the big 12 defenses that he often is faced up against. But any thoughts on him or one other name I'll throw out there that I had written down? Uh, Javion Hawkins is a guy that I thought was interesting from Louisville in this past week, 16 carries, 174 yards and a touchdown. Another explosive player that, you know, I think is going to, at the NFL landscape, I think he's going to kind of profile as that change of pace uh, space player type guy. I'd like to see more in terms of his pass catching ability. I think that would be important for him to show that he can be that and not just be like an early down change of pace guy, but another really explosive player. So Jeff, any thoughts on, I know you mentioned Hubbard before you maybe had a concern or two on either Hubbard or Hawkins before I take this to the wide receivers. Sure. Just real quick. Um, you know, I did a deep dive into Chuba Hubbard in 2019 thinking he might come out right and my biggest concern and and why I probably wouldn't have put him in this you know like we said that you know if Etienne and and uh, Najee Harris came out we'd have this big seven um, from the last draft class and and I think some people were putting Chuba Hubbard up there too my biggest concern here there was uh, pass protection was was a complete liability and you know, we've seen that really keep people, keep these players off the field. And, you know, you want to see these explosive guys uh, involved in the pass game. And it's something that I, I just don't think I could have projected for for Chuba. So, 
you know, hopefully we see some growth there uh, this year. Um, I, I haven't gotten too far into his 2020 tape. So, um, you know, that's that's something I'll be looking for, um, you know, just to see, you know, I don't think I'll see him uh, ranked ahead, Najee Harris or Travis Etienne, but, uh, you know, just, you know, where, how, how close he gets to them as that, that, that number three guy and, and really how, how far can he push himself kind of towards them in that tier? Um, I'll be looking at, at some of those weaknesses there for Chuba. Um, as far as JV and Hawkins, I got a chance to look at him a little bit today. He's an electric guy. Um, I mean, he's, he's, he's a little bit small, <laughs> I, you know, I think he's, he's really that change of pace guy. Um, but you, you talked about some pass catching and, um, the, the tape I put on was his 2019 against, um, Kentucky, I think. And I saw some really good catches there. I saw, you know, the, just the way that he tracked the ball, used his hands, you know, positioned his hands, you know, you know, found some space and, and holes in the flat. I actually think that's something that, you know, he will be able to bring to an NFL team. So hopefully they use him a little bit more. Hopefully, again, we get to see a lot more of that this year. Um, that that would be really exciting. That that's probably how he's going to profile, if not um, what, like you said, with um, Chuba, just the second part of a committee, that change of pace back, that really electric, you know, uh, uh, you know, compliment um, to, to make those big plays, um, but just sort of on, on a fewer touches. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing that, and Matt and I talk about this all the time is, and it's part of the reason why we slightly changed the wording uh, in our scouting reports from, we took out the word weaknesses and we put the, we replaced it with developmental areas slash concerns, which isn't necessarily the same thing as a weakness. A weakness is more of something that they can't do. And for some guys, it's we just don't know if they can do it. Like it's a concern because it's more of we haven't seen it, so we have no idea. And I think that J. Van Hawkins and his receiving ability, I think is a direct example of that. He's got to show us that. So, yeah, for right now, it's a concern for me because he had four receptions last year. So I guess the film that you put on <laughs> maybe was, you know, however many he had in that game was one of the only games all year he caught passes. So it, it's one of those things that did they do they just not use them? And it's because the way their offense is run or in practices, are, are they seeing legitimate concerns not to use them there? So I think it's really important because I know when I first started doing this, I would be so quick to say, oh, that's a weakness. That's a weakness. And it was like, you know, just because they didn't do it at the college level doesn't mean they can't do it at the next level if they're asked to do it. And I think that's something that really, you know, has, has changed from my you know, perspective in terms of when I watch these guys that it's no longer like, yeah, it's a concern of mine. But I'm not ready to say they can't do it because it's possible that they just weren't asked to do it at their at their program and in the offense they were in. And I think Hawkins, hopefully, he has that in his repertoire because I think NFL teams are going to want to see that. If they're going to invest, let's say, a top four-round pick on him to be that explosive change of pace guy, they're probably, if they're going to draft a guy who's five foot nine and under 200 pounds at the running back position – they're probably going to want him to be that change of pace space player, but be able to play on third downs and, and be a weapon out of the backfield catching passes. 
that's where we still need to see. So I hope he puts some on tape this year in terms of showing, you know, more from that, the past uh, receiving capabilities. And we'll see if that helps hit, improve his stock at all. So yeah. let's, any, any final thoughts on Hawkins? Well, just, just, you know, you want to see it on college reps because that gives them the chance to grow. If you don't get the opportunity, you can't develop that part of your game. And it doesn't mean you you won't be able to, but you know, the more reps, the more exposures you get, the more chances you have to solve those problems, the more you can bring to the table. And and you want to be able to do that. You know, you want to be able to develop that. You want to be able to see that this year. Um, so you know, you don't want it to be a question mark. And and I think he's got that in his game. But again, like if he's not asked to do it, he do, he won't have the opportunity to develop it until maybe an NFL team gives him a chance. And and you'd rather see him develop on the college level, get that head start. Absolutely. You know, 100% there. Let's say to the wide receivers, and we, and we mentioned already earlier today, the Alabama wide receivers. Unfortunately, Jalen Waddell suffered a serious injury this past weekend. He's going to be out the year. I don't think it hinders or hurts his draft stock, you know, as long as the reports are that it was a clean, you know, injury and, and they don't think there's going to be anything lingering long term. But take the injury out of it for a second. You know, this past weekend, you know, Devonta Smith didn't put up any gaudy stats like we've seen in the past. But I think both those guys provided the Waddle injury is nothing that's going to derail his draft stock. I think both of them are ticketed for the first round. Any preferences between the Alabama receivers? Because I think they're a very interesting, you know, discussion because Devonta Smith is the more refined player. I don't think that's going on a, on a limb to say that. I think he's a better route runner. I think he's more nuanced in terms of all facets of the receiving capabilities. But Jalen Waddle, Jalen Waddle, man, he, he's got, you know, jets, you know, like he's got burners back there whenever he wants them. And he, I feel like every year the somebody has come to Tyree Kill, and, and there's not really a lot of Tyree Kills. But I do think Jalen Waddle might be the closest we've had recently to Tyree Kill. So I, I, I don't know. I think if Jalen Waddle, if the injury is, is not something that lingers or hurts him, I think the NFL might end up favoring Jalen Waddle because of that rare, rare speed. But, I mean, Devonta Smith's going to run really fast, too. And he's already more of a refined route runner. So so where do you kind of stand, you know, right now? You know, and obviously we're not going to see anything else from Waddle. So he's not really going to refine his receiving capabilities anymore. And that might be the answer to to definitely push you towards Devonta Smith. But, but thoughts on those two great Alabama wide receivers, if you're going to try to differentiate them from an overall perspective. Yeah, so I'm not I'm – not- deep in the wide receiver class yet this year um one of the things though that i i think just similar to what you said with Naj, uh with travis Etienne, and just there's this explosion factor and you just i mean it, maybe he's not tyree kill but we just see what uh henry ruggs has bringing to the raiders and just what how much of a difference he makes to that offense when he's on the field and how bad that offense looks when he's not and it's just that explosion that deep ball is ability to get behind a defense I mean you see it with Marquise Brown too um it's just these types of players change an offense and so even if it's not from a fantasy perspective of him being more valuable I think the NFL is going to see that and I think you know we saw it with Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy there's you know, that speed is that, that element, that vertical element that they could bring to an offense is, is gonna matter. 
Um, and I think you, you'll probably see Jalen Waddle go first. That that's just that's kind of my guess. I'm gonna kind of put my money that way. Um, not to say that it has any bearing on Devonte Smith as a prospect, though, because I mean, like we said, that these guys are are giving making it hard for us to evaluate Mac Jones, right? Because they are really, you know, the, I can't believe Tua got to play with all, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what when you really stop and think about it, they had four legitimate top probably 20 or 25 NFL first-round picks. Like, that is truly remarkable, you know, and it's just they became a factory at the wide receiver position, you know, and, and I think Jalen Waddell will probably end up going first because of that rare – Speed. I mean, listen, we just are Henry Ruggs go before C.D. Lamb and, and Jerry Judy this past year. And why? Because of the explosiveness. He wasn't more refined than either of those guys. So, you know, not every team might have taken Ruggs first. So it's possible, you know, that that somebody favors Devonta Smith to Jalen Waddle. But I, I tend to agree with you that I think the legal prefer Waddle to Smith. But that, that that's not a knock on Devonta Smith, who I also think will go in the first round as well couple other wide receivers I want to bring up, and you can kind of go any which way with, with these trio of names. I don't think there's another prospect on the offensive side who is, I guess you could maybe make the case for one of the quarterbacks like Mac Jones or, or Zach Wilson, but I don't know if there's another running back slash wide receiver that has seen their stock elevated more since the beginning of the season than Terrace Marshall Jr. out of LSU. I think he's a I think he's around one prospect. You know, Ray Garvin for you know, friend of the show, talked to him regularly on Twitter. We were talking about him this past week. Matt and I talk about Terrace Marshall all the time. We were kind of hoping the Giants maybe the top around two could look at a guy like this. I'm not sure he's gonna make it to the top around two. I think he's now in the mix to be the sixth wide receiver off the board. He might even leapfrog some of these other guys. If teams are looking for somebody, you know, with, with more size, you know, and the natural true outside X wide receiver, that's who Marshall is. Like, you know, Matt and I were talking, you know, recently, and he's saying like, he's got some AJ green style play to him. Like he's that kind of player, that explosiveness. And this past weekend, six catches, 88 yards and two touchdowns. I think his arrow is through the roof. Some people might have thought with Jamar Chase not playing this year, he would have maybe gotten more attention and coverage. I think Jamar Chase not playing this year has put the spotlight on Terrace Marshall Jr. and has seen this guy who I thought was a second or early third round pick already, but I don't know if many other people had him ticketed for that, you know, before the season started. I think he's now on the trajectory to be a first or early, early second round pick, but I think he ends up going in round one. He's just been explosive. I love his body control, his ability to win at the catch point, you know, the, on top of the athleticism and the ability to get vertical. So he's one guy, Seth Williams out of Auburn, eight catches, 134 yards and one touchdown. I'm probably, you people are probably going to get sick of me saying this, but he's across somewhere between Alshon Jeffrey when he was coming out from South Carolina and good Alshon Jeffrey in the NFL to Mike Evans. He's somewhere on that spectrum of how he wins, how he plays, you know, that type of receiver is being phased out a little bit at the next level, I think, or there's at least some more concerns about it. 
you know, they want people want guys who are better rat runners, you know, more separation quickness. But Seth Williams is a big time prospect in his own right. And then Rashad Bateman, who st- probably in the summer was most people's number two wide receiver in this class. He's a guy that to me, he's almost like a more. I, don't, I, I haven't found the perfect comp yet that I like for Rashard Bateman. You know, I see some Keenan Allen to his game, but I think he's better on the outside while Allen's better on the inside. But Bateman is just so smooth at everything he does that he's a good route runner. He can win at the catch point. I mean, he's such a polished receiver. So that's where I think the Keenan Allen, you know, comparison comes into my head because I think Keenan Allen's one of the most polished receivers at the NFL level, you know, Seth Williams is going to be around two pick. I think Rashad Bateman's going to be around one pick. You know, this, this class is just filled with studs up and down. Any thoughts, Jeff, on whether it's Marshall, Bateman, Williams, feel free to chime in on any or all of them. I mean, I think, I think Bateman's prospects are, are going to be, you know, one of those top fantasy picks. I just, he's going to be a focal point of an offense. I think, um, I, you know, and, and it's not to say, I, I think, uh, Seth Williams, uh, like that's there, there are room for those players in the NFL. They, they may not be the focal point of those offenses, but they, they are the ones they go to, to make big plays, right? Like you've got big play Mike Williams, right? Um, so, so these, these players, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be, helping an NFL offense um the as far as uh Terrace Marshall goes I, I think and, and it, you know you can apply it to Seth Williams too one of the things that I just I liked most about his game was his ability to play through contact in the secondary at his stems at the catch point and just you know the ability to kind of like run through defenders um you know, to get to where the ball is going and, and not really get um, pushed off or, um, or, you know, or really give way to to those defensive backs and, and be able to win the ball. And so, or, or win some separation, right? And and so that's something that you don't always see. Um, that toughness is, is there. I think that um, that is a valuable trait. Um, and I, I haven't gotten too far beyond that as far as this game goes. So, you know, there's more to dig into for me, um, but that's just one of the things that I really liked about Terrace Marshall. Yeah, and, and I think you, I think what you saw in the limit that you've watched of him is something that that he thrives at. Like he's great at the catch point, but I think the difference that stands out between him and Seth Williams is is I think I think Marshall's got that that extra gear in terms of his long speed in terms of his explosion and i think that's going to be like a deciding factor that said williams is going to be a good very good prospect i think marshall could end up being considered a very good to great prospect when it's all said and done so there i think there'll be a little bit of separation between those guys but but both very good prospects like i said i think marshall has seen the stock rise maybe as much as any prospect uh, in the country. Now, again, maybe the NFL was already on him high, but in terms of the Devi community, the draft Twitter community, I don't know if many people were looking at him as a round one pick just a couple weeks ago. And now I think he's clearly trajectorying towards round one. So let's close out the NFL draft report for week eight with one tight end name. I'm tired of talking about Kyle Pitts and how much I love him since the season started with a little bit of Brevin Jordan in there as well. 
We finally got Pat Fryer moved out of Penn State on the football field this past weekend as Penn State kicked it off, delivered first game, seven catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown. Listen, if people have been listening regularly, they know my take that I find Pitts to be the tight end one in this class. I think he's a top 15 pick in the draft because he's Darren Waller with better athleticism for the position. I think he's a mismatch nightmare right out of the gate in terms of his pass catching ability. But we've had conversations already tonight, not at the tight end position, but in general in terms of completeness. And if you're looking for the complete tight end, if you're looking for the guy who can line up in line like George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, but also be a weapon in terms of his pass catching ability, well, that's Pat Fryermuth. I mean, for years he's heard the Gronkowski comparisons and and they're, they're apt comparisons in terms of the body, the frame, and the athleticism. Does that mean he's going to have a Gronk-like career? Who knows? So many factors go into that. And that's why sometimes people don't really understand comps well because it's not that we it's not that we are saying the player is going to be as good as that player or have the success of that player it's stylistically size frame play style are similar to those guys and then you know and then who knows what happens at the next level but but Friar Moot, his body control and ability to adjust high point use his body to create that extra space at the catch point is my, it's some of my favorite traits of his game. I think he's very much in the mix to be another first round tight end as well, because a team that really emphasizes and values having a two way tight end, he might be the best two way tight end to come out in, in quite some time. I think by the time draft season rolls around, he's going to be looked at as maybe a more complete tight end in terms of the two way capabilities than, than Hawkinson. That doesn't mean he's going to go as high as Hawkinson. It doesn't mean he's going to go even be the first tight end. I, I, I do think that could be Pitts. But I think he's the most complete tight end that I've seen probably since O.J. Howard. And I think he might even be a little bit more advanced in terms of his receiving capabilities. I think O.J. Howard was more just athlete who showed that he can make big plays, but O.J. Howard, that was a very good blocker at Alabama, so that's why there was that completeness. But in terms of completeness, blocking, and being an effective receiver, route runner, using you know the nuances of the receiving game, I think Fryermuth is a really complete player. Any thoughts on, on Fryermuth? And if you want to bring in any of the other top tight ends in comparison, feel free uh, You know, as you're talking about Fryermuth. So you won't ban me from talking about uh, Pitts? No. Nah. <laughs> Uh, no, I just, um, I haven't gotten into, uh, tight ends yet. So if you say, you know, you like them like a Hawkinson, Hawkinson was one of my favorite, uh, tight ends to watch. Um, I, I love watching tight ends play. I just, you know, it's the, just the dual role that they carry in the run game and the blocking, you know, George Kittle's probably my favorite player in the NFL. Um, I find it really hard because we missed on George Kittle, everybody did. Um, I find it really hard to project uh, just how these guys are going to be able to grow. The tight end position is one of the most difficult learning curves, uh, you know, from the college football to the NFL landscape. There's just so much that they're responsible for, um, you know, you know, on you know, for an offense against defensive assignments. So I, I have a hard time uh, projecting them. I, I love taking a look and seeing just how do they win um i haven't gotten into fryermuth and you know if you say if you say you see some hawkinson vibes then i can't wait 
So yeah, I think I think he's going to be a guy that again I think it's a two two horse race with Brevin Jordan a close but not that close third right now. I think Jordan is a guy that you're drafting with a lot of upside to develop into that mismatch you know weapon in the passing game i you know i think pitts is that guy that jordan is hoping to be so i think i think those are the the clear three tight ends in this class i'd be really interested to see if anybody can push i know i know i do like charlie colaire a little bit from uh, iowa state but i i think it's gonna be hard for anybody to top those top three and i'd be stunned if the top two off the board are in you know pits and, and fire mood when when all said and done so guys there it is the nfl uh, nfl draft report for week eight let's kind of pivot this over for a quick debbie slant obviously the nfl draft report you know went a little long there but great conversation digging into a lot of those prospects so a couple names that stood out this past weekend, you know, underclassmen who obviously should be very much on your radar for your Debbie leagues and future, you know, top level NFL draft prospects. The quarterback position, I, I continue to bring him up. If you don't know the name Sam Howell out of UNC, start watching his game because a year from now, provided that Lawrence Fields and, and uh, you know, obviously Lance come out and declare officially and don't have any change of heart or anything like that. Sam Howell's going to be, I think in the running for QB one for the 2022 draft class this past weekend, 252 yards and a touchdown UNC, uh, you know, obviously bounced back after the loss, the, the previous week, Spencer Rattler out of Oklahoma. This was the guy that when Matt watched him, his high school film, he went on about how much he liked his game. Now it's his offense there for Oklahoma. 332 yards, two touchdowns this past weekend. He's another guy who I think, you know, again, the thing with some of these quarterbacks, and and Jeff, you and I were talking about this before air, is, you know, teams are looking for those guys that can solve problems. And, you know, a couple of years ago, a guy like Rattler at six foot one would look at in his pro level, you know, upside would maybe have been a little bit concerned because of the size. That has kind of gone by the wayside now with Russell Wilson, with Kyler Murray, with Baker Mayfield. Like the six foot one isn't going to hold Spencer Rattler back from being potentially a, a top level NFL prospect. So, you know, that that's something now that opens it up for a lot more players to be in the conversation when we're talking about future draft status and, and capabilities and Rattler in that offense, we've seen Lincoln Riley, what he's done with Baker, what he's done with Tyler, what he's done with Jalen hurts. And now Rattler's the next, you know, in, in that, you know, juggernaut of an offense there. So he's a guy that I think he's going to be a guy that intrigues NFL teams. So those are the two quarterbacks I mentioned. I'll just run through a couple of the other names that anybody you want to talk about Uh, running back. I, this, the freshman sensation. I just keep talking about tank Bigsby out of Auburn, you know, just absolute beast mode every single week. You're seeing what he's doing, you know, in the sec this past week, 129 yards and two touchdowns, the physicality, the contact, balance, the ability to absorb contact, deliver punishment, continues to do week in and week out. Brees Hall, you know, probably in the conversation of the top underclassman running back prospect. I know, you know, in terms of my Debbie rankings, Brees Hall, you know, is is very much 
near the top of that. He is my top underclassman running back. He's my third overall in, in terms of my Debbie running back rankings after Travis Heathian and Najee Harris. This past week, 185 yards and one touchdown. Garrett Wilson, we talked about Ohio State a bunch today, but Garrett Wilson got it going. Uh, Talking to Matt today about Garrett Wilson, and we were saying that very much in a Calvin Ridley style of player, that's who Garrett Wilson is. And very smooth, good route runner, explosive player. You know, Garrett Wilson is showing that explosiveness as a guy, could be a vertical slot player, you know, seven catches, 129 yards and a touchdown this week. David Bell at a, at a Purdue, you know, big, big monster game this past weekend, 13 catches, 121 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, I have him at, as my number 12 Debbie wide receiver right now. That's only because I'm, I'm biased and I put, I put 11 guys ahead of them who were draft eligible this year because that's how special of a class is this year, you know, but Bell could easily be higher on that list. He's going to be in the running for one of the top wide receivers in the 2022 NFL draft. And then I wanted to bring him up because we talked about Jalen Waddle's injury and it's just next man up and, and John Mechie out of Alabama, seven catches, 151 yards, just, you know, he, he made a, a big player too the week before and now steps in for Jalen Waddle this past week and they don't lose a beat. I mean, obviously Waddle's a special player, but you know, they just replace in with Mechie and he just goes out there and, and dominates himself too. just another underclassman there at Alabama, big time playmaker at the wide receiver position. Jeff, any thoughts on any of the quarterbacks, running backs or wide receivers from the underclassman perspective? Uh, just amazing that Alabama can just churn out those wide receivers, can't they? Um, Brees Hall is I you, you put him. You said number three in your Debbie rankings, right? So just behind Etienne and Harris, and I totally see it. This guy's really special, great in contact. You know, really good um, catching the ball. He, he's a dynamic player. Um, I couldn't look Matt in the eye if I didn't bring up Jerry on Ely, <laughs> just because. I, you know, I, I talk to him about that drum beat all the time. I'm really excited about that player. I know you've mentioned him. He's number four for me. You know, for five. <laughs> you probably mentioned him about four episodes straight, so I couldn't make it. Uh, I had to keep the streak going <laughs> and make it number five. So um, I just – it's going to be a – it's – I think if if we had didn't have Najee Harris and Travis Etienne – in this this year's draft class i think would have had a big gap um but you know we're in good hands with uh you know with Brees hall with jerry on ely you know to, to fill that in and just keep that talent flowing into the nfl from the running back position yeah for sure and and i remember last year when we we assumed that hubbard Etienne, and uh harris were all gonna go pro and i remember saying last year that this year's running back class was gonna be a very poor or weak draft class and it was gonna be one of those classes that you might not had anybody go in the first two rounds you know that you know maybe someone would have popped up but you know i still think it's very possible that there's only three running backs taken in the first two rounds this year and if that's the case they're probably going to be the three guys that could have came out last year so i i don't think we're wrong in saying that there would have been a little bit of a gap there and we would have kind of had to wait to that following year to really get some high-end talent and you know whether it's hall or ely you know and, and there's other guys too that could that could easily be brought up in, in the mix there as well you know so it's it's one of those things that 
the running back position, you know, we continue to see high level guys coming out. And for a while, there wasn't many early round running back selections on a regular basis. And then we started having, you know, the year of Christian McCaffrey and, you know, and then over ever since that year, we've had consistent amounts of running backs, you know, go in the, in the first two rounds of, of many draft classes. And, you know, and this year we'll have a couple and then, and then the following year for sure, uh, that will keep going with guys like Brees Hall and Jerry on Ely. So let's, let's take this to the tail of the tape. When we take a look ahead at upcoming matchups this week, more from a prospect perspective, if there's a guy you're excited to watch. So the games that I wrote down that I'm, I kind of have circled for this week, obviously Ohio state, Penn State's going to be a fun one. Uh, you know, we talked about a bunch of the Ohio State players, both the running backs, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Master Teague and, and Trey Sermon, Justin Fields, I just mentioned Garrett Wilson on the Penn State side. We already talked about Fryermuth, you know, Devin Ford, an exciting running back prospect there. You know, you have Clifford, the quarterback, who I didn't even get a chance to bring up before, Sean Clifford. He's the guy who's in the scouting notebook already in, in terms of a full deep dive on him. So that game has me intrigued. Mississippi State, Alabama. I mean, Mississippi State, after that great first game to start the year against LSU, I mean, they have, they've looked completely lost since then. You know, I'm assuming Alabama rolls, uh, but that one, you know, how does Mac Jones continue to look? He should have a lot of opportunities this game to make a lot of plays vertically down the field. Texas, Oklahoma State, we've already mentioned Chuba Hubbard today. Tylen Wallace is a guy I'll be watching closely on the Texas side. You got, you know, uh, Sam Ellinger. You got Keontae Ingram. You got Brennan Eagles, Tariq Black. So guys on the Texas side. LSU, Auburn, we mentioned Terrace Marshall there. On the Auburn side, we mentioned Seth Williams and Tank Bigsby. I'll be keeping a close eye on them. And then Arkansas, Texas A&M, on the Arkansas side, running back Raheem Boyd is a guy who's a draftable prospect. And then Texas A&M, Kellen Mond, uh, you know, is a guy that, you know, how does he look in this game? And then uh, uh, speaking of underclassmen running backs that are explosive, Isaiah Spiller, you know, is another guy that we could add right in that mix there with Brees Hall and Jerry Neely of a guy who I think is a big time talent. So those are the, the, the games that I find most intriguing. Anything there you want to elaborate upon, Jeff, in terms of any guys that you're kind of excited to see them in, the, in their matchups this weekend? You really covered it well. Uh, Penn State, Ohio State is just going to be a great matchup. That's one that, uh, I mean, I, I we'll see what Sean Clifford could do um, because he's going to have to keep up with with uh, Ohio State and, and Justin Fields. And, you know, obviously it's great every time we get to watch, uh, you know, the those players play. You, you mentioned Firemuth, you, uh, you know, Fields. It's going to be excited. The only other thing I think I'll mention is, is you know, you talked about Mississippi State and Alabama and expecting sort of Alabama to roll again. You know, it just what's uh, what's Mac Jones going to do without uh, Jalen Waddle, right? You know, we you know we we talked in the Debbie slant, um, but but how is he going to how is he going to respond? We said Jalen Waddle was propping him up maybe a little bit. You know, is he going to take the lead? Is he going to kind of show the stuff? Is he going to is he going to keep that offense humming? Um, maybe it's a chance for him to you know to really elevate his own draft stock and, and maybe his his standing in the eyes of of evaluators. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point there. This is the first full game. Obviously, you got hurt last game and, and left the game, but you, but you know now it's you know teams are be 
less surprised by some of the the backup guys. They'll be more prepared for them. And it'll be interesting to kind of see, because I think Mac Jones all year is going to try, is going to have to try to prove some critics that he's legitimate and he's the real deal. And it's not just plug and play Alabama player quarterback with those wide receivers. So I think every week's big for him. Like it's, you know, Trevor Lawrence could have a bad game and it barely registers on the radar. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not that important. Mac Jones has a bad game. I think it's going to be really critiqued probably almost too much for his liking because everyone could have bad games. But I, I just think that's kind of, the rabbit hole we're going down here with Mac Jones because so much of the conversation has been about it's Alabama, it's the scheme, it's the wide receivers. You know, you know, he's set up to be successful. So for him, I think the leeway that he would be given is a lot shorter than than some of the other top prospects who if they have a bad game, it's a bad game. And I don't think people will really sit on it for too long. So I think you're making a good point. How does he look in his first game? Because you know, if he was to struggle or or just be average in this game, that would be the storyline coming from the game. Jalen Waddle's not there. All of a sudden, Mac Jones is not looking as good as he did the rest of you know the previous games of the season. So, so I I do think you know maybe more than I even realize that there is a little bit of pressure on Mac Jones to kind of keep that offense humming this week. Because if not, I think there would be a lot of questions uh, coming to the forefront about the whole oh, is it the the positional players that are making him look better than he is. So interesting games, you know, and that was just five. There's other games on the docket of prospects that we'll be talking about uh, next week here at Saturday to Sunday. Let's close it out with the NFL rookie report for week seven of the NFL season. I mean, the rookies this year in the NFL, man, they, I, I don't remember there being so much production from basically every position week in and week out, except the tight end position. But even this week we had some tight ends to discuss. Uh, but the, the level of production and the level of performances has been really impressive for rookies who didn't even have a, a normal off season due to COVID had no preseason. It, it's remarkable. And, and that, being amazed by what we've seen. Let's start at the quarterback position where I usually start. I mean, Joe Burrow, 406 yards, three touchdowns, 34 yards rushing in the touchdown, 35 of 47. I mean, another game that he, he did everything he could to help lead his team to victory. Unfortunately, it came up short to, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield and the Browns, but really impressive performance by Burrow. And then Justin Herbert, I mean, 347 yards, three touchdowns, nine carries, 66 yards, and one touchdown. I mean, Herbert's playing out of his mind right now. I don't think anybody expected this. I've been sharing my thoughts on these guys for weeks, Jeff. Anything about Burrow and Herbert you kind of want to talk about in terms of either what you've seen or surprises in terms of, you know, based on what you saw in the film from their collegiate levels and now what they're doing at the NFL? I, I mean, Burrow's the real deal. He he kind of came out of nowhere last year, but he's showing all of the things that he stepped up with, you know, last year in LSU is carrying straight into this NFL game. But I think even more remarkably, uh, you know, Justin Herbert is, you know, putting I, you said it, you know, perfectly when, you know, we were talking off air. He's putting all of those things together in a way that he just hasn't before. And at that NFL difficulty level, I, I think he just realizes it's 
you know, his shot, he's got this confidence that's soaring and, and he's making deep shots, perfect deep throws to guys like Jalen Guyton, you know, another rookie, uh, just these rookie wide receivers, man. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about them. I haven't seen, um, all like every single one of them produce, um, like like this in a long time as rookies i always preach patience but um oh my goodness they just every single you know justin jefferson cd lamb you know brandon Ayuk is jumping out I, I mean why don't you go through our wide receivers here and and some of the ones that you wanted to highlight yeah you know so well one one thing i just wanted to round out the quarterback thing the one thing i do think is really fascinating to to mention is I feel like sometimes people who follow college football and then don't follow maybe NFL draft or the NFL as much, people have a hard time understanding why traits and certain things evaluators are looking for. Justin Herbert is the reason why he's the prototype, because if you just watched his Oregon film, you walked away thinking, I don't know if this guy is a top five or top 10 quarterback like you watched some games last year I think it was I think it was the Rose Bowl that you know he did a little bit with his legs but it was a very ho-hum you know performance by him and you can watch a game on you can watch some games when he was in college and I'm not sure you would look at those games and think man this guy's gonna be a guy's gonna be a great NFL player franchise quarterback a guy who can go to the playoffs maybe compete for Super Bowls but he had all the physical traits and it's why the physical traits, the athleticism, those things do carry weight. The leash is longer. People think that the development we're trying to project and develop into the next stage of their, their career in the NFL. And Justin Herbert is that guy who puts it together a lot quicker than anybody expected. But that's why people draft players with traits. They're not finished products. And Herbert never looked this good in college as good as he's looked right now. And that's why people look for those things and, and get excited about it. And I think Herbert's a great, uh, a great reason why. And as you said, if we, if the wide receivers this year, it's just been every single week they're producing at a really, really high late, a uh, high rate. You know, this week I wrote down T Higgins, five catches, 71 yards and a touchdown. Brandon Ayuk, six catches, 115 yards. Those are the two guys that stood out this week. You know, CD Lamb, Dallas's offense was a mess this week. Obviously, no Dak Prescott. Andy Dalton leaves uh, leaves the game early with a concussion. But C.D. Lamb has shown his ability. He immediately translated, been beyond impressive. I think he looks better even with the Cowboys. And, you know, and he should, he's doing things and solving problems that he wasn't even asked or needed to solve at the college level because their scheme was so great there at Oklahoma. Jerry Judy has been a guy who I've been a little bit intrigued by him having some ups and downs this year. Uh, some, some drops that is, 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 I think something that I didn't think was going to be an issue at the next level. I still don't have a lot of long-term concerns with Jerry Judy. I think he'll put it together. You mentioned Justin Jefferson. He's been absolutely amazing this year, uh, showing more in terms of outside receiving capabilities than I thought was possible. Obviously we're waiting on Jalen Rager. T Higgins is materialized into maybe their number one outside wide receiver. AJ Green's looked better the last two weeks, but the chemistry that Higgins and Burrow are developing is why I was targeting T Higgins in every second round rookie draft. Uh, if he was available because they're going to be a 
attached to the hip for a long time. Uh, so I would still aggressively try to go get T. Higgins right now. And even T.D. Lamb. T.D. Lamb might have a very inconsistent rest of the season due to the Cowboys offensive line and quarterback woes. If at any point you can use that to go get C.D. Lamb, I'd basically give almost up any pick in next year's rookie draft for C.D. Lamb. It's, as much as I like these guys, unless it's super flex, you can make the case that you want C.D. Lamb for the next 10 years more than you know, Najee Harris and ETM because of longevity and more than any of the wide receivers. So I would constantly be checking in on with the C.D. Lamb owner and seeing if I could somehow pry him away. But Jeff, any thoughts on, we'll start with any thoughts on T. Higgins or Brandon Ayuk, because those are the guys I I had written down for this week's performances that stood out for me. Uh, but any thoughts on those guys? And if it's any of the other rookies, I mean, I, I also did have written down Chase Claypool because after his monster games, this week he came back to the pack a little bit, which is not unexpected. And And sometimes I think it's intriguing to go make offers for some of these guys when they do come back to the pack, maybe not off one bad game, but if, if, if he was inconsistent for the next four or five games, maybe it's owner starts to think that, well, the two great games was a little bit of an outlier that maybe you can go get him again. It's not going to be cheap, but maybe go, you know, aggressively go get him. If you think his ceiling for next year is what he showed, you know, not that he's going to score four touchdowns every game, but that type of upside and potential to be, you know, potentially outside lead dog, number one wide receiver type. So any thoughts on Higgins and Ayuk to start, and then you can go big picture wide receivers, rookie class. Why don't I touch on Claypool since, you know, he's sure. sort of the anomaly here. He he blew up. He's already shown he's, he's broken out. He's a great player. I think you know, part of what you see is, uh, you know, he's he's part of that offense when you know Deontay Johnson's hurt. And talk about it; he's a sophomore. He's not a. We're not talking rookies here, but um, but he's somebody who's really stepped up his game. Um, you know, I do think he's going to be in the driver's seat, and Claypool's going to be a compliment. One thing is we've seen Claypool used in a multitude of ways, right? We've seen those rushing touchdowns come through. And and when I don't think it's an if, I think it's a when Juju leaves, there will be more room for Claypool to grow. So you're right. You know, there's so those buy low opportunities, you know, and, and if we're talking about buy low opportunities, we haven't seen Michael Whitman play. We haven't seen Jalen Rager play yet, but, you know, we were just as excited about those guys, right? So, you know, if you could get them before they broke out, it, it, I don't know that you're, we're ever going to see a rookie class hit at a rate like this, but um, those are guys we're excited about. They're probably cheap. They're, you know, everyone's probably bummed that they missed out on all these rookie explosions with, with T Higgins. Just, I, I, I didn't see, I, I saw an amazing player. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, Seth Williams and how sometimes there's a role for these players, but maybe not the focal point. I I don't, you know, with maybe AJ Green rubbed off on him, taught him some stuff, but it's a faster development curve than, than I had expected. But he's developing into that go-to guy for Joe Burrow, who I already love. I think he's electric. So you're talking about a pairing, um, for the next four or five years and maybe even, you know, Cincinnati keeps them together for, for their careers uh, that you're just going to, you know, it's, it's going to be the uh, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, not that they're the same players, but just they're tied together and they make magic on the football field. 
Um, Brandon Ayuk, you said he had a great game, uh, six for 115. Um, Debo Samuel's going to be hurt. So this is Ayuk's time to shine. Um, the, the offense, they're, they're similar players. Shanahan wants to get him the ball. Maybe he'll even get some rushing attacks here. Um, you know, well, he's got a big game against Seattle. So I'm a 49ers fan. This is going to be a fun one to watch, see what he does. Um, I, I love Brandon Ayuk. I also somebody that I thought would come along a little slower, but has immediately shown just an array of problem solving solutions. And he hasn't been asked to do too much. He hasn't been asked to, to play. Um, he's not been fit into a box of a traditional receiver where he hasn't fully developed yet. You know, Shanahan's using him in a really creative way to his strengths and what he showed on his college film. And so that's how you're really seeing it come out on Sunday. And this, it gives these guys confidence to build in their roles and and expand it and learn it, you know, in, in sort of in chunks. Um, so I, I can't be any more excited about, you know, the rookie class this year of wide receivers. They've been absolutely amazing. I'd never expected, I, I expected great things. We saw, we said how deep this was, but you usually don't see them all pan out this quick. So, you know, we'll have to follow them. There's, there, there's a growth curve, there's a development curve, and sometimes they take a step back. But I, I think, you know, these are all promising young players. Yeah. I mean, the last two years of wide receivers, it's been remarkable how quickly for a position that used to feel like it took time to be a impactful player at the next level, it sure seems like receivers are making an impact at a much faster rate than they were five, six years ago. You know, I, I just remember, you know, in New York when OBJ did what he did, like that was, you know, and that was a special, special rookie year, but like it was rare. What made it even more rare was that rookies don't usually have that type of impact. But now like we saw what DK Metcalf did last year. We saw, you know, you know, in, other guys last year, Terry McLaurin, we saw it in bits and pieces, you know, Marquise Brown at times and, and so many other guys last year. And now look what we're seeing already this year. And just to circle back to T Higgins for a second, he's the reason why you can't get, you can't lump everybody into a one size fits all just because Nikhil Harry looks like he might be a bust and there was legitimate concerns on film about separation quickness and, you know, and, route running and and I had my concerns about you know Nikhil Harry you can't make it that ever or you know and then we saw Laquan Treadwell bust and we can't it's not a one-size-fits-all just be not all of those guys are gonna you know not any guy that is not quick and fast and great route runner they're not all gonna fail at the next level and you know there were people that were starting to have some concerns about T Higgins and when I looked at T. Higgins, I thought he could be on that spectrum of Kenny Galladay. You know, maybe he didn't have the athleticism of an AJ Green, but I thought, I thought, you know, I thought he played faster than he tested. I thought he could be that lead outside wide receiver. And I think he's showing that he's got that kind of upside. And I think people are starting to get a little gun shy about some of those guys in their prototypes because of the Nikhil Harry's the Laquan Treadwells. So when they're guys that are good at average athletes, or there's some concerns about their separation ability or their overall route running, people are a little down on them, but Higgins shows that, yeah, some guys, some of those guys don't make it, but some do like, and there's plenty that do. And that's why guys like Seth Williams are going to be intriguing in this draft class. It's why, 
you know, I think Terrace Marshall is a better athlete than T. Higgins, but I think, you know, those that style of player in terms of size and frame, I think is why uh, people are so intrigued. But th- I mean, this class has just been remarkable. Any thoughts, Jeff, on Harrison Bryan? He got an opportunity this week to play significant uh, snaps for the Browns due to the Austin Hooper injury, four catches, 56 yards and two touchdowns. Was he a guy that piqued your interest? I know you talked about the tight end position before and you love to watch it. Was Brian someone that intrigued you? Because he was somebody that intrigued me last year because he was a, he was a gritty player who was a better blocker than I think people originally gave him credit for early in the year last year. I think he was getting more, uh, respect from that portion of his game by the time draft night rolled around but he went to Cleveland people kind of felt like he was buried there with the signing of Hooper and David Njoku's still there but I mean he gets on the field this week and delivers two touchdowns yeah I I I let's just say I'm not surprised um I did really like Bryant um I his draft stock you know it it was a pretty rough year for the for the tight ends for draft stock and you know, I I wasn't expecting much, and and I don't because I do think you know Hooper's going to come back and he's going to take a take most of those looks, um, but it just shows that you know there's there is a translation of talent there. I think that's that's a wonderful thing to to kind of key in on. You're going to have to be really patient with Harrison Bryant. I think, you know, there's there's opportunities for two tight ends, but but generally, I you know I think Hooper's going to be the guy there, and you're going to be patient on Bryant, but it. You know, you see the fact that 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 those skills are translating, and that's what you want to see. Yeah, absolutely. And if we if we transition this right to close out the night with the running backs, there's a couple of names I want to bring up. But but before I even bring them up, I do want to say right now the top five running backs from last year's draft class: Clyde Edwards-Helaire, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, and Cam Akers. You guys should be green light, full fledged ahead to try to buy these guys right now or for the remainder of the season for all different reasons. One, right now, people are going to be a little bit down on Clyde Edwards to let the rest of the year because I do think he's going to lose significant work to Le'Veon Bell and his fantasy production is going to be very inconsistent. Make sure the Clyde Edwards Hilaire owner doesn't have long-term concerns that they're always going to want a second back there. And if if the op- if there's an opening at any point, and even if it costs you a good first-round rookie pick for next year's draft, that's fine. Go out and aggressively get Clyde Hilaire. Jonathan Taylor, same thing could be said. If you have concerns, you know, in terms of, listen, I have concerns about his receiving capabilities. I think he's functional at best. I think basically what we see out of, you know, Leonard Fournette when he's asked to catch the ball, sure. I think that could be Jonathan Taylor. He's not going to do much more than that. But as long as he's serviceable and functional, I think he's always going to be a little touchdown dependent, I think. But that, but he hasn't, if people are concerned about his overall workloads because it's not been hovering in the 70, 80% range, Go aggressively by J.K. Dobbins. Go aggressively by Mark Ingram won't be there next year. J.K. Dobbins will be seeing significant usage in a high-powered offense. DeAndre Swift. Matt Patricia won't be the coach of the Lions next year. DeAndre Swift will be a focal point. So after a great game last week, this week he still only gets 13 touches total. You know, finds the end zone again, but still not producing again the opportunity. Use it as an opportunity to go by. And same thing with Cam Akers. Right now, he seems buried on the Rams' depth chart, but I would use that as an opportunity. I don't think you can buy too low on Edward Tolaire, Jonathan Taylor, 
and probably J.K. Dobbins or DeAndre Swift. I think all of those guys would probably still cost you a good first-round rookie pick and maybe not even get the job done. Cam Akers, I bet, I bet you could maybe go get Cam Akers now for an early second round projected rookie pick. And I think that's still a move that I'd be willing to make because Jeff and I already talked about today. Next year's running back class after Najee Havertz and Travis Ethian is, is questionable across the board. I like Cam Akers more than Truba Hubbard. And you're not going to get a running back with the upside and skill set of Cam Akers in the early second round of next year's rookie draft. So all five of those guys for different at different costs, at different for different reasons, I think are aggressive go buys right now. And then want to bring up Antonio Gibson, who finally got a heavy workload this past week: twenty carries, one hundred twenty-eight yards, and one touchdown. I'm fascinated. He's the full conversion is basically over. And I didn't, I didn't foresee this as quickly as it happened. I thought he was going to be more of almost more of like a, a modern day Percy Harvin type player or use like a lot like Debo Samuel in a variety of ways. Didn't expect Antonio Gibson to see this type of rushing workload early in his career. And then James Robinson, I'm going to continue to say sell on James Robinson. I know, and especially this week, he finds the end zone twice. I think this is the perfect time to go sell. If I can get, if I could sell James Robinson for a 2021 first run rookie pick, I'm doing it right now because I still think long-term I have some concerns that they're not going to either try to upgrade the talent or bring in someone at least equivalent to James Robinson, who's going to then cut into his massive workload that he's currently handling right now. So I think selling high on him would be the right move. Jeff thoughts on the running backs to close out the show here. Do you have a different take than me on the top five guys? Was there any that you'd be steering clear of you think right now, or, or would you look at them similar to me that, at their, that their buys and then maybe some quick thoughts on Gibson and Robinson, the conversion from Gibson and then, would you be looking to get out on James Robinson or are you a believer and you think you just kind of hold them and see if you, you know, they've really truly found the diamond in the rough? Yeah. I mean, I, I love these, these top five running backs. Um, the one I had the most concerns with was Cam Akers. Um, and I think one of the reasons people really had them in their top five rookie picks overall was because they thought the the Rams backfield was wide open for the taking and I was never fully soured on Darrell Henderson and I think he's earned his opportunity to at least you know have some of those touches so you know Akers is gonna have his work cut out for him um I'm trying to convince uh somebody in my league though to to do a a a buy and a sell for a second round pick. I think that's, that's right about there. I think you can get that deal done. I still think your point about you're not going to get somebody the caliber of cam Akers in the second round of your rookie pick. So I do think at the running back position, right? Because the quarter, the wide receiver position, if, if you're, if your team needs running back help, I'm okay yeah. giving a second round, even an early second round running pick. Now, if you're comparing them to the wide receivers, that could be ended up still be there in second round. Well, that's a different conversation. But running backs, if that's where your focus is, as Jeff said and as I said, I would I'd be willing to do it. Yeah, yeah, spot on. Thanks for clarifying that. And um, and, and so I think um, you know, I think those there's some concerns but you you have to go for that um you know the other one and, and if there is one by low it's probably cam Akers, and that's the deal that's the one that you'd probably get you know have the most chance of getting something done i'll say even in a redraft league though you should go buy jk dobbins 
So, so you know, we're seeing Swift get used a little bit more. I know 13 touches isn't a lot, but he's getting some valuable touches. He's getting in the end zone. And, you know, I think what we see is, uh, you know, these rookies, they get their feet wet. You know, they get into the bye week, and then you see them more featured. And and J.K. Dobbins is coming out of his bye week. Um, you know, I know there's a multi-pronged attach with Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards, and he's going to play Pittsburgh this week. I don't care. He's a talented back. He's already shown efficiency on limited touches early in the year. Um, I'm really looking forward to to seeing what he can do in the back half of the year. Um, he'd be a screaming buy as well for those top five top five guys. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm right there with you. I love J.K. Dobbins. I actually thought it was really close of whether or not him or or Jonathan Taylor should be the second pick in rookie drafts because I thought Clyde Hilaire was locked in for the first one. And I thought you could make the case that long-term J.K. Dobbins might have the most upside of any of these running backs with Lamar Jackson in that offense. But I guess a lot of that does depend on how long do they want to make it just a, you know, a multi running back approach there. Uh, from that. And any final thoughts on Gibson or, or Robinson in terms of how quickly Gibson has kind of emerged into a natural running back that, like, you know, when you watched him last year, did you envision this role? Cause I know I didn't. And then, you know, and then the surprise story of the year in terms of the rookies, James Robinson, you know, I watched him at, I think it was the Shrine Bowl last year. And he, listen, he looked like an interior runner who ran, ran tough, but there were some athletic limitations and, you know, his story this year has been great, but I sometimes do look at the bigger picture and think that me- means that, you know, there's probably somebody in every league that would look at his statistics this year and his workload and be willing to overpay. Would you be willing to make that move if you weren't right now needing him to, you know, potentially maybe win your league? Would you be willing to sell him and get a, if you if you can get a first round pick for him or would you rather just hold 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 firm and say listen what he's shown this year has been really impressive i'm not going to i'm not going to sell him he may, he might be that steal uh well these are both i'm i'm in line with you here paul i these are both great feel good stories i think i you know nobody expected this from gibson at you know when he was a a prospect right and and you saw washington draft him really early and then you saw the exodus of running backs there with Darius Geis getting cut from the team, Adrian Peterson getting cut from the team. And, you know, the only person left was Peyton Barber. And so, you know, I, at that point, who's a really dynamic player that you want to get the football to? And so I think it's awesome that we are getting treated to Antonio Gibson this early. And he would be a buy for me. And and I'm with you on James Robinson as well. I I mean, a wonderful story. Yeah, if you're competing for a championship, you 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 hold on and you play him because he's getting a ton of work. Um, but you know, talent always rises to the top, and there's a lot of talent coming in. The free agent class next year is really good. Like, who knows if if Aaron Jones gets re-signed by Green Bay after they drafted AJ Dillon? Um, you know, I think I think there's a lot of players that are going to be out there looking for homes. I think Jacksonville's going to need a lot of talent on that roster i think there's a lot like we we talked about some some really good running backs and maybe it's not somebody who would supplant him completely but 
um, JV and Hawkins, Shuba Hubbard. We talked about electric guys that could complement a backfield, and you won't see 33 touches for James Robinson next year. And so I do think I, I've talked to a lot of people who want to buy him for a first. So I think you can definitely sell him for a first. And if if I'm not relying on him this year, I'm right with you. I think that's probably the deal that that, that makes sense for for maybe both. Yeah, teams. and I think you brought up a good name there, a guy like Hubbard or a guy like Hawkins or you know throw Kenneth Gainwell into the mix there out of Memphis. Like those are guys that Jacksonville might be willing in the third round or the fourth round to invest in another running back that is a different type of player than than James Robinson, and that wouldn't push James Robinson out of it completely. But if all of a sudden James Robinson's getting you know. 10 to 12 touches in a backfield. That's a big difference in terms of his fantasy viability than, than him getting literally every important carry that they run and receptions. So I just, I don't have the belief that long-term he's going to see that type of workload. He doesn't have a lot. He has no draft capital attached to him and whether people want to admit it or not, the the, the more draft capital you have, the longer lease you get, you know, he plays a couple bad games and they invest a third round pick in a running back. Well, that third round pick is going to start eating into the workload for him for sure. You know, it's just the way it often works, you know, in terms of draft capital. So I'm, I'm, I'm there with you too. So we're in agreement on that. So guys, there it is. The NFL rookie report for week seven, guys, hopefully you enjoyed this episode a little bit longer than I've been doing with my solo shows, but was excited to have Jeff on as a guest, and there was so much just to discuss and break down and get into a little bit of a back and forth and, and hear someone else's perspective. So hopefully you enjoyed the the little bit uh, extra uh, extra time here in this episode. Jeff, thank you so much uh, for for hopping on with me and and uh, doing the show with me. It was an absolute blast to have you. Please. Uh, let the audience know uh, where they can find you on Twitter. I know you're, you, you know, you're, you're active on Twitter, you know, talking about prospects and fantasy and draft and stuff like that. So please make sure you let the audience know where they can follow you. So I'm at the sofa scout uh, on Twitter. So that armchair expert, like I said, um, you can find me there. I just give me a follow. I'll follow you back you know, send me DMS. I love talking about football. It was just a blast talking with you, Paul. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still just at the tip of this class, but being able to dig in, talk with you, share some of my thoughts and really just pick your brain on what you see, you know, in this exciting 2021 rookie class. Um, you know, hopefully we get a chance to do it again, you know, over Twitter back on here. Um, it, this was an, an amazing amazing time so thank you so much for having me absolutely it was my pleasure look forward to definitely getting you uh, back on here as well in the future and you know our interactions on twitter as well guys if you're enjoying the content that i'm putting out on twitter the content from the podcast please get get over to the website ssfootball.com is the quickest way to get over there click on the premium content tab and for $9.99, you can get access to all of our premium notebooks. You get immediate access to the 2021 Scouting Notebook, which I've referenced a lot tonight. It has about 80 or 90 full detailed player profiles, 
strengths, functional areas, developmental areas, NFL projection, NFL role, how they win, a fantasy spin. And this is updated. That Those were originally written, all my notes, in the summer when I watch film. But they will be updated during the year with then a major update after the year. More prospects will be added in. So it is not – it's a living, a living, breathing document is how Matt and I created it. It's not you know a PDF file that's the same thing you know, that we wrote in August is the same thing you'll see next April. It'll be changes. It'll be more players added in. I've already talked about guys like Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Kadarius Tony, Reggie Roberson are are guys that are going to be added soon. Uh, So you get that, you get the rankings notebook, which has my current draft eligible rankings, my Debbie rankings, my dynasty rookie rankings that I update weekly. And then it'll eventually have our tiers and our actual draft rankings after the season. And then in April, you also get the draft projections notebook, uh, which will have tabs for every single position, offense and defense, uh, a quick snapshot of the, of who they are as a prospect, all their combine measurements, their, you know, uh, height, weight, all that stuff. And then they are ranked based on everything I am hearing. So expected how to go on draft weekend. Uh, it's a perfect compliment for draft weekend. And also uh, you get the tabs where I try to correctly predict every player who goes in round one, the first three rounds, and then every single pick in the NFL draft. So it is the best way to support the show. Uh, any proceeds we get from that go right back into Saturday, Sunday, hosting, serving, pr- producing the podcast and the subscriptions that we need to continue to do what we do here for you. So on behalf of myself, on behalf of our special guest, Jeff Abercrombie this week and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, thank you for joining us. And I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.